Welcome to the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstadter, joined by Bazooka Joe Valtellini. The UFC is going back to Fight Island soon. Joe, are you going to Fight Island? Do you want to go back? Uh, actually, I would. I mean, it's one of those nice trips that I kind of really enjoyed. I mean, when you get a chartered flight to Abu Dhabi and you're on a plane with UFC fighters, Dana White, their coaches, Mick Maynard, you know, Michael Bisping, Paul Felder, like that's a flight you want to be on. So, uh, yeah, if they want to put me on another one of those chartered flights where I'm eating nice steak on a plane, I'm in. I'm <laughs> yeah, in. yeah it's no snakes on a plane, steaks on a plane. <laughs> no, that's the way you want it. That's it. Yeah. No Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Samuel L. Jackson, yeah. Well, but, yeah. Uh, no, I would love to go. I would love to go again. The experience was awesome. Uh, the weather, being on that Formula One racetrack, everything was good about it. So, yeah, I'm glad they're going back because it was uh, the people, the atmosphere, the environment was just awesome to be there. So, hope it's uh, going to stay. Well, some pretty sick fights coming to Fight Island. You got the middleweight title of the world, you got the light heavyweight title of the world, and the lightweight title of the world all on the same. Uh, I, well, from what I understand, that's the way it's going to shake out. Is you're going to have the uh, the Adesonia Costa fight headlining Fight Island, and the last card is going to be Gaethje versus Khabib. So, uh, great, great uh, start and great bookend for the, uh, the the Fight Island cards. That should be so. A lot are they of fun. trying to do like three events while they're there, like they did last time? Is that I think it's going to be like five or six events? In a row, back to back. It's gonna be like September twenty sixth. Here, let me look at how many events there are. So you got uh, you got twenty sixth, which is UFC two fifty three. Then you got uh, October third, October seventeenth, October twenty fourth, and there's also October tenth because there's an event every weekend. So yeah, so I think I guess that's what that's like five cards. One, two, three, four, five cards. Yeah, so five five weeks in a row at, at Fight yeah. Island. I guess it makes sense while you're there, while the team is there, and the the engine is rolling. Keep it going. Keep Absolutely. it going while it's there. Everything's in routine. They have their system. Like you have to think to have multiple cards. It's like it's confusing. All the treatment from all the different fighters plus different quarantine times, back and forth, wristbands. Like it's it's a big engine that they run. So I mean, it's impressive. It's really impressive how it's how it's been going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I want to ask you first and foremost, coming out yeah. of the weekend, where does Anthony Smith go from here? It looks like he's a little bit confused as to his future. He was even thinking of going back to 185. Um, pretty bad loss to Alexander Rock. It's not quite as bad as his loss to Glover Teixeira, but uh, uh, a pretty bad loss nonetheless. Yeah, I, I think Anthony Smith is uh, just go against his uh, intuition. He always wants to fight, fight, fight. I think it's time that he takes a little break. I think he needs a little extended break to let his body heal. I mean, he's gone through so much um, in this last year, I would say, from the home invasion to, you know, his loss to Glover Teixeira, which he took some big damage. Um, you know, he's just been put his body and his mind through so much lately. I think he needs a break. I mean, I think it's early to say, you know, he needs to retire, but um, I don't generally see him as a title contender anymore. It, I mean, um, I think he had his big runs. Could he do it and work his way back up? I think he can, but I just think his age, um, the damage he took, it's just the smartest thing before he makes any decision is a break. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that, but it's hard. I mean, he's the type of guy that gets restless. He wants to fight. He wants to train. He wants to be in there, um, and, and he's come back from these kind of situations before and done well, but that being said, I mean, he got to the elite of the Light heavyweight division, he had some success. I mean, that win over Volkan Uzdemir was great. Win over uh, Alexander Gustafsson, fantastic. Uh, two guys that, I mean, if you were to, were to tell me after watching that Glover fight and that Rockage fight, could Anthony Smith beat those two guys? I would have said definitely not. So we've got to remember the good with the bad for Anthony yeah. Smith. He was still able to beat upper echelon guys. 
But Rockic looks like a special talent. Like, he looks like a guy that can beat a lot of people at light heavyweight. Yeah, and, and it's just impressive because I was listening in uh, an honest interview that Anthony Smith had, and he was just really honest. He goes, I took three kicks. He says he probably has a fracture in his fibula. Like, I mean, you, th- so that power that Rakic had was just incredible to shut down someone like Smith with, like, three or four good power kicks where he couldn't even stand. Um, I mean, I, I would also say Rakic could have done a little bit better, a little bit smarter. I think he should have kind of kept the fight on his feet a little bit could have got himself a more dominant finish um, if he would have kept it on the feet. But I think Rakic is big. He's strong. He's talented. Um, but yeah, Anthony Smith, just too much right now. I think from him doing the the fight desks to family stuff to back-to-back fights to all the media attention from his corner in his last fight, he needs, he needs to just chill. He definitely needs to chill. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Well, uh, Rakic, you know, a lot of people are criticizing him because after the fight he said – Oh, I think I should get a title shot next. And but people are burying uh, part of the other thing he said, which was like in the post-fight press conference. He said, "You know, I, I feel like I've earned a title shot, but if the UFC wants to see me go five rounds first, I'd be happy to do that. I'd be happy to main event a card." People are kind of glossing over that because they're like, "Well, this guy doesn't deserve a title shot after that kind of performance." But uh, that being said, I think that uh, if you do put him in a five-round fight in his next fight um, against you know a guy that's a, a contender at light heavyweight. Um, you know, one guy that uh, was mentioned by uh, my friends at the uh, MMA Analysis podcast was Anthony Rumble Johnson. Johnson's coming back in February. Now, if you want to get Johnson back into the mix at, uh, at light heavyweight, why not do a, a five-round main event with those two? Yeah, that would be pretty intense. That'd be scary. Any, I, honestly, anytime Rumble Johnson fights, it's scary because one of those big power shots, the fight's over. But yeah, I'd be interested to see that. Yeah. I mean, I also am more interested, to be honest, to see Rumble Johnson in heavyweight. I think it's just funner fights, the size of him, the power he can translate. I think he'd be fun as a heavyweight. Do you know where he's coming back? Is it confirmed he's as a light, light heavyweight. heavyweight? Light heavyweight is where he wants to come back. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm in for it. I'm sold for it. I think they just bang the excitement. Um, but again, Rakic, we also saw that he could use a little bit of grappling and wrestling if he, if he needs to. So it'd be interesting. I'm, I'm yeah, just, I think were, he's a great talent. You people know? Were, weren't giving him credit for his wrestling and his grappling going into this fight. I, I always thought that he was a really good grappler. Yeah. Would you think now this is why he decided to, to take the fight right there a little bit more, to showcase it? Or that's what uh, you know a lot of people are saying, because he showed his striking for all of his other fights, especially that head kick that he throws. So maybe it was just uh, he wants to showcase his, uh, his full round, all-roundedness as a mixed martial artist. But he's done it in other fights. He's used his wrestling before. I don't know why people uh, seem to have forgotten about that. He's got good wrestling. He's got, he's got really good top control. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out with him. But I think that he's a real player in that division. Uh, you know, his fight with Uzdemir was super close. Some people like, thought that he won that fight. Some people thought Uzdemir won that fight. But uh, I think that Rockage is going to make some noise now that John Jones is no longer champion. Like, this division is wide open. Uh, you know, we're going to have a champion soon when uh, Jan Bojovich faces Dominic Reyes. Uh, I personally think Reyes is going to emerge as the champion. And I think that a lot of these guys are going to give Reyes, or whoever ends up winning that fight, a really tough matchup. And I think Rockage yeah. is one of the ones that is kind of a dark horse in the division. I wouldn't even, honestly, I think that Rakic and Reyes would be a phenomenal fight. I think it would be one of my favorite fights right now. In, in the light heavyweight. I just like the stylistically. I think it just makes for a great fight. Reyes isn't intimidated. And, you know, and Rakic, you know, will go forward and attack and, and come forward. So I think that fight to me would probably be one of the more exciting ones in the division. All right. The other fight I wanted to get to is Neil Magny against Robbie Lawler. Uh, it just does not look like Robbie Lawler has much left in the tank. 
Yeah, no, not at all. And I just think, too, I, I don't understand even someone like Neil Magnia. I mean, I was looking back at uh, some of his past fights. I don't think Neil gets enough credit for the names he's beat. I mean, I think a lot of people thought, like, I know he came in as a favorite, but I just don't think he has really, for some reason, in the fans' eyes or even in the UFC, has solidified himself as one of the top in the division for some weird reason. Yeah, you know, Neil Magny is hasn't gotten enough respect in any regard. I feel like his um, his fight IQ has really gone through the roof since he joined the UFC. Like, he used to have really bad fight IQ. He was never very good at using his range and his length. That was one of his really uh, big shortcomings early on, and he's really turned that around. And you look at how well he can use the reach now and how good his fight IQ is. I mean, when you saw him grab the neck of Robbie Lawler whenever Robbie tried to get up, he was really utilizing that reach advantage. Those long arms help him out a lot uh, when oh, it comes yeah. to the grappling. I, I think he has always been an incredibly underrated fighter, and I, I, I'm excited to see where he goes from here because I think he can he can upset a lot of people in that division. Yeah, I mean, I was looking back, and I'll just give you some of the names, and you got to think this is from 2015. So five years ago, he's got wins over Gasolum, wins over Hector Lombard, win over Johnny Hendricks. He did lose to RDA. I think at that point, maybe it was his submission defense needed some work, but, you know, beat Carlos Condit, Lost to still Ponzinibbio and beat Lawler. Like, those are some of the names that he's fought in the past five years. All good guys. All past legends and, you know, Hall of Famers. So, I mean, I think he needs a little bit more respect to uh, in the division for sure. Do you remember that Lombard fight? No. You should go back and watch it. It was awesome. Like, Magni got dropped badly in the first round. I think it was like a 10-8 Lombard round. And then in the second round, Magni landed, I think it was like 113 strikes in that second round alone. Like, think of how much volume that yeah. is. 113 strikes. Like, very few people can land over 100 strikes in a fight. In one round, he landed, like, 100... It might have been a 10-7 round, honestly, against Lombard. Like, he beat the bricks off of Hector Lombard in that second round and then ended up getting a finish, I believe, like in the third. It's his body frame. Like, you got to think, as a welterweight, uh, I'm looking now, he's about 6'3", he's tall, he's long, like, he's got an awkward little style to him. He, he's he got, like, I mean, just outside of his talent, that body frame alone will give a lot of people a hard time. Yeah, for sure. Well, why don't I, uh, why don't I plug our guests? Because I, I so seldom do that when we, uh, when we talk. So we've got Alistair Over, uh, Overeem on the show today, Cole Smith, hey. the Canadian, and uh, we've also got... Um, Oday Osborne. So Oday is uh, based in Wisconsin, and he's uh, he's a teacher uh, in Wisconsin. And I, I wanted to talk to him about what's going on there right now uh, with with um, everything that's uh, happening uh, in the state of Wisconsin, Kenosha, Wisconsin specifically, with um, Jacob Blake and uh, and what's going on with police violence. And he's he's got a really strong opinion on that. So it's it's really nice to talk to Oday about that and get his perspective. So uh, that's coming up later on uh, in the podcast. So. Uh, Please stay tuned for that. Uh, this weekend, Overeem versus Sakai. Uh, Overeem's about a minus 150 favorite, and I don't think that number's big enough, personally. Okay. Um, yeah, I think we don't know enough. Like, Sakai, this is his, one of his bigger coming-out fights, I would say. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I think anyone who fights Overeem um, is in for a different type of fight, but I don't know enough about Sakai to, to really put, uh, um, you know, a stamp on that. Well, here's the thing about Overeem. Uh, the, it, that fight this weekend, it'll be the six-year anniversary of Overeem's fight to Ben Rothwell, and he lost that fight. But since then, he hasn't lost to a single heavyweight that isn't, like, top five. You know, Overeem's lost to Rosenstrike, and he was winning that fight up until the last couple seconds of that fight. Um, 
he of course lost to Francis Ngannou and lost to Curtis Blades. Like he's losing only to the elite guys. Uh, has wins over Walt Harris, Sergey Pavlovich, uh, Alexei Olenek. Um, so I think the Sakai's kind of in that bracket. Like if Sakai is going to end up beating Overeem, you got to give this guy respect. You got to look at him as a potential top five guy at heavyweight. But I just think that Overeem, uh, with his experience. Uh, should be able to outclass Sakai, and I, I just don't think that this line, I think it should be closer to minus 200. Hmm, because I'm looking at Sakai, he only has one loss, seems like a big Brazilian as well. But who's he beaten? Like, who's, uh, give me some guys he's beaten that, that impress you. Like, what's an impressive win on that guy's resume? Hmm, let's take a look now. Yeah, why, why don't we why don't we take a look? I'm, I'm looking at it as well. I mean, you got Marcin Tybura's okay win, Blagoy Ivanov a split decision win and a, really a nothing fight, a split decision mm-hmm. win over Overeem and a knockout of Chase Sherman. Like we're not talking about world beaters here. Like when you, when the you bigger start, names, yeah. Yeah, when you start looking at bigger names, um, I mean, this is by far going to be the toughest opponent that he's fought to date. I mean, but behind that is probably like Czech Congo or Blagoy, but uh, I just don't see. Over the course of five rounds, how Sakai is going to beat Overeem without scoring a finish. And Sakai's not really a great finisher. Now, when you look at this fight and you're a UFC matchmaker, what is the purpose of this heavyweight fight? Is it to kind of see if Sakai can hang with uh, the upper enchilada of the division? 100%. Or is it to see if Alistair Overeem can still hang? I think it's mostly think Sakai. I think it's mostly just seeing where Sakai's at. If Sakai is the type of guy that can, like, because you want to build a prospect and you want to build a guy off of the name of Alistair Overeem, because I don't think a lot of people that follow the UFC have heard of Augusto Sakai. He's kind of this under, you know, he's kind of been under the radar. So if he can score a win over Overeem in a main event spot, now you've built something. Like, and then if Overeem wins, now you get Overeem a little bit more momentum. He wants to make a final uh, title run at, at heavyweight. So I think that regardless of the outcome of this fight, the UFC kind of wins. Yeah, either you have a new contender or, again, you can keep Alistair just feeding him to some of those big fights. But I can't believe Alistair Overeem's record. Even in MMA, like, he's got so many fights. It's ridiculous. I think it was 33-13-1 when Sakai debuted as a professional. Like, that's oh, how many it, fights it's, he's had. It's crazy. And that doesn't even count his 100, probably, kickboxing fights that he has. Like, I can't believe anyone has fought as much as Alistair Overeem in the, the, you know, a decade and a half that he's done it in. It's insane. It's been, actually, it's been, I think, 20 years now. Almost 20 years. 20 years. Or 21 years. It's 21 insane. years. I think 1999 was his pro debut. insane. Yeah, and he's all there. Like the coolest thing was, I got to do. Uh, I called some fights in uh, Germany with uh, Alistair Overeem. He called some glory fights with me, and just us, like a nice guy. His brain's still there. Very intelligent, smart, well spoken. Like it's very impressive the career that he's had. One of the craziest things I've ever seen was he got that. Everybody knows that crazy knockout against Overeem. Oh, sorry, against uh, he is Overeem against uh, Francis Ngannou. Like, one of the most vicious knockouts you'll ever see. Like, an hour later, he's walking around the back with a backpack on, smiling, talking to people. Yeah. It was like seeing a ghost. Like nothing's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, like, it was like seeing a ghost wrong. backstage. I couldn't believe it. He didn't get, he didn't get transferred to the hospital after that. Like, I, I, that was, that's one of the most mind-blowing. I had to do a double take when I saw it. There's definitely a genetic component to head injuries. And whatever gene that causes head injuries, he doesn't have it. Because there's no way the amount of shots, like like the biggest thing, and I remember, uh, you got to think, one of the role models that I had in kickboxing when I first started was Gary Goodrich. So I used to come as an amateur to my gym, and my coach would coach Gary Goodrich in his pride in K1 days. So I'd go in, I'd mix, and I'd spar, and so I'd look up to Gary, and Gary always said to me, he goes, he goes, Joe, I always booked an after 
after party after my MMA fights. After my kickboxing fights, he goes, there's no after party at all because it's just the damage that you take. So you got to think someone like Overeem has taken, you know, 100 fights of just banging of shin to shins from the best heavyweights in the world, the Badr Haris, the Semi Shilts. Like, he fought monsters his whole 20-year career. Like, it's insane. And he was at light heavyweight before that and fought, like, crazy talented light heavyweights. Yeah, nonstop from the early. Like, even when he was the young demolition man in Pride, like, damn. Like, he's just seriously has fought everyone in all sports. Like, that's a true martial artist, really. All right, so let's talk about about a couple fights that seemingly have gotten announced this week. Uh, One that is a maybe... Uh, it's not signed yet, but it looks like it's getting there, is uh, Nate Diaz getting a rematch for the BMF title against Jorge Masvidal in January. Uh, this one surprised me for, for whatever reason. I, I didn't think that that's the direction they'd go in, but it certainly is a big money fight. The, the thing that drives me crazy is you're seeing these people online being like, I can't believe Masvidal's taking this fight over taking the Leon Edwards fight. Like, are you serious? Do, like, I don't yeah. understand how anybody who thinks they know anything about how this sport is promoted would think that. Like... And I'm not, I really am not trying to disrespect Leon Edwards when I say this, but I would guess that Masvidal is making four times the amount of money to fight Nate Diaz than he would be to fight Leon Edwards. I would say that four times the amount of people are going to watch that fight than they would watch him fight Leon Edwards. Like, even if Leon Edwards is higher ranked, you've got to think about this sport from a perspective of eyeballs and, and momentum. Like, a win over Nate Diaz again and, and hoisting the BMF title and having lots of people watch it is so much more valuable than beating a high-ranked guy like Leon Edwards in terms of how you, you are promoted in this sport. And, uh, you know, it's just the truth of the matter. Like, this isn't uh, this isn't college, like, football or college basketball where, like, oh, the, I'm the sixth-ranked team and now I'm going to beat the second-ranked team in a, in a basketball. No, it doesn't matter. This is the promotion business. And I just don't understand why people are like, oh, he's ducking Leon Edwards. Why wouldn't he fight Leon Edwards? So let me get this straight. You expect him to make a quarter of the amount of money, have a quarter of the amount of eyeballs, and, and you think he's going to get more momentum from beating Leon Edwards than beating Nate Diaz under those circumstances? Like, it just yeah. it boggles the mind that people don't understand how this thing works. And if you've followed Masvidal's career, you know he's all about the big fights. He wants the bigger, more entertaining fights. The fights that bring more eyeballs brings him more money, and those are the fights he wants. So, I mean, them. it makes total sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I know and, – and they're using that the, the BMF title again to promote that fight, which I think is smart and good. I mean, he had his world title shot, get this big fight and a big win, which I'm, I, I'm assuming he's going to get the win in, in my early prediction. And, uh, yeah, I think that's just going to keep him in that division anyways and make him more valuable after. Well, especially if you're in the main event of a pay-per-view, right? Like, that's where you get the eyeballs, and that's where you get the money. You know, and I think that a win over Nate Diaz, even though he's already beaten him, does just as much for him as a win over Leon Edwards, if not more. I'm I'm also that person, too, where, like, you got to think, I mean, Masvidal probably doesn't have many more fights left on his career, I would think. You know? No, probably So he not. probably wants he to wants take to the biggest, it. best. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's the smart career move. So you've got that. Um, then there's also in December, uh, you have uh, Amanda Nunes taking on Megan Anderson. And she's defending the 145-pound title for the second time this year. She'll have cleaned out the division pretty much if she gets the win. And then you've also yeah. got uh, a uh, welterweight championship match. You've got Kamaru Usman rebooked to face uh, Gilbert Burns. So uh, those, are, those are two uh, pretty big title fights as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, these title fights now are getting – I feel like we haven't had any in a while. Is this just me? Because we've had those two fight nights outside of Stipe 
I just can't think of too many of the title fights being put the on. Last, the last pay-per-view would have been what? Like that was like two weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah, but before that, which one, what other title fight was up before that? Um, well, you had uh, Masvidal versus uh, Usman. You had yeah. uh, that seemed like a lifetime ago. Though. It does, but it was like a to month me, ago. It seems like yeah, <laughs> it was that fight island, wasn't it? Happening. Yeah, I don't know. But the other thing too that's happening, I think, with you know these fights every week, like. When I thought back today, I was like, okay, we're doing the show today. So I'm thinking back of last weekend's fights, and I was like, Smith and Ratchet, that was only five, six days ago? Well, it's it crazy that like Cormier and Stipe ago. was like 10 days ago or something. Like, yeah, seems like an that, eternity like, it's ago. It's blowing my mind. Yeah, it's well, the Contender Series makes it seem like there's an event happening every Tuesday, right? So that's kind of what, what yeah. creates that, dis- that, that distance. Yeah, I mean, and you know what? Like, this Contender Series, like, they've been really good. I, I found the talent's been good. The quality of the fights have been great. So, I mean, yeah, they're doing some good stuff with that show. Yeah, I loved watching that kid Jimmy Flick. He was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I didn't watch. Uh, I didn't watch last week's, but I did know someone fighting the uh, the nightmare there. Oh yeah, uh, William Knight. Yeah, he trains with Tyson. William Charlie. Knight, the yeah. nightmare. Yeah. So I actually met him. I was doing a coaches seminar in California, and he's a light heavyweight. Yeah, he's right? a beast. And he was like big, strong. But I looked at him at the at the thing, and he started talking. He introduced himself, and we started talking. I was like, "What are you, a middleweight?" And he took offense to it. So like our big <laughs> running joke between each other is that he's a middleweight. But well, yeah, he's Dana White was asked about that after the event. Dana White goes, yeah. "Do you think this guy could cut down to middleweight? Because he's like five nine, right? He's like Daniel Cormier's height." But look how thick he is. He's though. huge. I don't think he got down the middleweight. Are you kidding? The guy's yeah. gigantic. No fat on him either. He's no a beast. No, he's like he's like the Tyron Woodley of that of that light heavyweight division. He's yeah, like that's stocky, honestly, that's a good huge, reference. built up. Like it's like I if somebody said could Woodley Tyron move down to one fifty five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Woodley in his last fight wasn't as big and stocky. I found. No, you didn't think so. Maybe he's getting older. I thought he kind of slimmed down, especially in the upper body. Yeah, maybe. His legs, you got to think, Woodley's legs used to be massive. Oh, yeah, I feel trunks. like he's trimming down a little bit more. Yeah, this guy, well, I mean, Knight's more upper body than lower body. I mean, he's just, he's built. He apparently used to weigh 300 pounds. Yeah, but even in the fight that, like, I saw the highlights of it, I mean, he uh, he was getting almost taken down at one point until he found those little elbows from the, you know, when well, his opponent was shooting. what happened before that was, like, he was flattened out, he was flattened out on, his, on his stomach. Like, his opponent had his back and was, like, raining down bombs on him. And for whatever reason, Herb Dean was like, keep busy, I'm going to stand it up. It's like, the guy had back mount. Like, the guy had full back mount. And was yeah, pounding yeah. on the guy. It's like, what do you mean you're going to stand it up? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, but and, and that was his second time in the Dana White Contender Series as well. Because I remember yeah. he won and Dana put him on, like, a development contract. Yeah, and then he's won twice since then, I believe. And now he's now he's got a full UFC contract. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do in the UFC. Uh, finally, before uh, I let you go, Joe, because I know you have to you have to run. Uh, Brock Lesnar now a free agent, apparently. So I'm going to give you a couple of choices here. If, if you could choose either okay. Brock Lesnar versus Fedor in Bellator or Brock Lesnar versus John Jones in the UFC, which option are you taking? Well, that's easy for me. John Jones. It's the John Jones fight. I think it's John Jones. But the question for me now is, I I think it's a smarter move for Lesnar to go probably the Bellator way. Um, because one, Fedor is probably a more winnable fight for him. Two, I don't, they don't have the USADA testing pool. So that kind of opens up possibly. What, are you, what, are, you trying to, what are you trying to say, Joe? I'm just saying they're playing with maybe <laughs> different things. but And that's not a surprise with Lesnar in his career. So honestly, from a career standpoint, it almost makes sense for him to go Fedor. But as a fight fan, obviously it's John Jones. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I just I, I would like to see Jones if he's not going to get an immediate title shot at heavyweight. I'd like to see him get a, a fun fight. 
Um, yeah. but that, but you know what? Cormier said something really interesting this week. He was on with Helwani as he is every Monday. Uh, he wasn't being interviewed by Ariel. They co-host the show together. I just want to make that clear because Daniel doesn't like when people <laughs> say he's being interviewed. Um, because he's not. But he was saying basically that he thinks that Stipe needs to take a good amount of time off before he fights Francis or he's going to get knocked out. He thinks that the, the trilogy fights have probably taken an impact on the amount of damage that uh, Stipe is going to be able to take in subsequent fights. And I kind of agree with him. And I think that that's why... And, and Francis has said he'd be willing to fight John Jones before he fights Stipe because he thinks it's a bigger fight. I think they should make that fight. Like, I think if you're going to bring John Jones into the heavyweight division, have him fight the biggest, scariest guy and see how he does. Yeah, I don't think... But you got to think, John Jones has always been smart in a calculated move. In my opinion... I would say the winnable fight, and I said this last week to you, and I remember you were like questioning it a little bit. I said Nagano is going to knock out Stipe, and I really think he does. I think Nagano will be your champion. So I think the smart move for John Jones in his career would be to get the fight with Stipe right away. I think the fight with Nagano is just a little too dangerous for him, but I think the Stipe fight's winnable for him. You know what everybody so was I saying think- back in 2018, Joe? Francis is going to knock out Stipe. Francis is going to knock out Stipe. Let's give Stipe some credit here, man. Like, it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. Am, it's it's am, the same I, line I, as it was last shit. time. Like, Francis is minus right. 220. He's an even bigger favorite than he was last time. And we haven't... We, we're seeing the exact same thing from Francis that we saw before that last fight. He's just knocking people out clean. But, like, if yeah, he can't knock Stipe out clean, he's going to lose the fight. Like, he needs to knock Stipe Maybe. out in the first round or he's going to lose the fight. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm telling you, I think that size, the power, the intelligence he's developed. I'm sure he's had two years of being able to shoot for takedowns, being a little bit more patient. Like, I don't know. That's just my intuition. I feel it based on his natural athletic, his natural talent, his power. I'm sure he's been grappling a little bit. Um, but yeah, hey, I'm sold on it. I'm sold on it. But I bet you even in the odds, I bet you Francis Nagano will be a favorite. He is a favorite. He's like a minus two, 250 favorite or something. I'm going to go and see. I have the, I can find the line right yeah, here. There you go. There you go. He's Francis is he's a minus favorite, 190 favorite. That's probably that makes sense to me. But I, I like I think by the time that fight rolls around, Francis is going to be an even bigger favorite. And I just don't think it's justified. Like I, I, I know we've seen him beat a lot of people and he's getting crazy knockouts and he's really good. But Stipe has beaten him already. And, you know, as much as I'm sure Francis has improved. In the back of his mind, he's going to be a little bit more hesitant, don't you think? Don't you think he's going to be a little hesitant to pull the trigger knowing what happened in the first fight? Yeah, but maybe that hesitation is good for him because he doesn't overthrow his punches. He keeps his hips behind him. He plays it a little bit more intelligent. He knows he has five rounds, so that little bit of hesitation is probably good for him. I don't know if so it is. So this way, Stipe has a harder time coming in. I don't know if it is, honestly. I feel like Francis is better when he's Francis, when he's throwing big shots, Throwing caution to the wind because he all he, all it takes is one. He should throw with absolutely everything he has. Yeah. But uh, that being I said, we saw what happened like, last time. I, yeah, I picture it almost like the Cain Velasquez style where it's just one quick shot coming in. Like you even go down that quick little pop to the head as you come in and like it's done. One big shot. Not even – doesn't even have to be a big shot. I just think that, that size, that power, the frame, it's just too much. Well, we will see. Natural, Joe, because, natural. Uh, that's going to be an interesting one when it happens. Uh, I like it. I, I just don't think. I think just think people are over, are like just writing Stipe off again, just like they did last time. And I don't think it's hey, fair. Prove us wrong. I love it. I love the underdog story. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. If Stipe were to win, I'd probably, in my mind, 
you know, I'm heading towards, you know, Nagano being this big, scary monster that would be a champion. But I love the underdog story. I would prefer Stipe to win to see the smaller guy get in there, you know, uh, go against all odds. So I would be cheering, you know, privately for Stipe. But I still think Nagano's going to take it. Well, Joe, I'll do you a favor. You can go back to 2018 and watch the exact same thing happen. All right. All <laughs> just right. Go, we'll just go watch the tape. It exists. It's on Fight Pass. We're going to be arguing every week until this fight happens. But no, I'm excited for it. It's getting excited. I'm just happy that there are fights now in the heavyweight division. At one point, we were not excited about the heavyweight division. There wasn't much going on, and now we got some life back. Well, John Jones certainly helps uh, make make that so. All right, Joe. Well, thanks for this. Appreciate it. We're going to get to our first guest in the main event of this weekend's card, Alistair Overeem against Augusta Sakai. And Alistair Overeem, the demolition man, joins us now on the TSN MMA show. He's in the main event of UFC Fight Night. This Saturday night is on TSN up here in Canada. It's Alistair Overeem taking on Augusto Sakai. Uh, so I just looked this up. Your record when Augusto Sakai debuted in MMA is 35-11-1. That's pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I guess you're not too impressed with that particular stat. But uh, I always appreciate your time. And uh, this is a, a fun main event, Augusto Sakai, uh, a young up-and-comer in the heavyweight division. Uh, do you like this role right now as being uh, the the fighter, I guess, that is, is keeping a lot of these younger fighters, uh, I guess gi- I guess giving them a test to see where they're at in their career? <coughs> to be honest, I don't care. Um, you know, everybody in the UFC... Poses, poses some sort of challenge or threat or however you want to look at it. Um, everybody's tough. Everybody's got a plan to win. And, you know, he is an up-and-coming guy. Yes, he is dangerous. He's fresh still. Um, but I don't know, man. I like to fight. I like to train. I like to break people. That's a little bit what I do, right? So if it's a new guy, if it's a more experienced guy, to me, it doesn't really matter. What do you think of Augusto? I don't know how much tape you've watched on him. Uh, he is still a little bit raw, but uh, are you impressed by him? I saw some fights. He's a tough guy, tough kid. Um, yeah, not all too impressed, but I mean, he is winning his fights. And like I said, you can never underestimate anybody in the UFC, right? Everybody's got a plan and they all have strength for conditioning and they all have. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a good fight. going to be a tough fight. Your last fight against Walt Harris, um, you know, I spoke to you before that fight, and it was obviously a difficult predicament going into it, given uh, what Walt had gone through. Uh, was that was that hard on you during the fight, or you, were you able to put that away, or was it in your head a little bit during the fight? No, you know, when I'm competing, I'm enjoying. I don't really think about, you know, and I'm focused. I'm not thinking about all the circumstance. It would not be good if I did. Um, and I also try to approach the whole thing as sport. I don't look at it as I'm... Um, actually hurting him actually i'm not even you know you're not because there's adrenaline after the fight you might feel some stuff but during the fight you're not feeling anything so try to just stay focused on this again you know i want to i want to i want to win at the game how far into your career did it take you for that to i guess for you to enter that kind of flow state where you were able to put all that kind of extra stuff aside and just think of it as sport and just uh look forward at your opponent and go Mm, i don't know actually I've kind of always looked at it as sport. That's why I never, you know, I have, I have some losses. I have like a crazy long record, right? Crazy long career. But um, that's why I don't really look at the losses. Uh, it's a sport. And in sports, you can lose. To me, it doesn't have to be perfect. <clears throat> There's a million and one reasons why it's not perfect. But it's, you know, you were saying my record in the beginning. But I'm just thinking 92, 
I, I did 92 fights. This is going to be my 93rd fight. I don't look at it as wins and losses. I, I believe I have like 80% or something. So that's something I'm satisfied with. 80-20 rule, right? Um, yeah. You learn, win or you learn. That's a good way of looking at it. And you've, you've done a lot of both. I mean, obviously, you've, you've been in this for a long time and you've gotten more experience than a lot of other people could even imagine getting in this sport. Um, do you consider yourself a legend of this sport? Do you think you're going to be in the UFC Hall of Fame one day? I don't know. We'll see. Is that for the public to determine? I don't know. I'm a, I guess that's Dana, right? Or whoever goes uh, over that list. I don't know. When you look in the mirror on a day-to-day basis, do you just see Alistair Overeem, or do you see a guy that's been in the sport for a long time, that's accomplished a lot of things, that achieves a lot of things, or uh, do you not think of it no, that I way? See, I see uh, Alistair Overeem, and then, you know, sometimes on training camp, there's plenty of time to think about stuff, and there's nothing to do, because you're training, eating, and sleeping, you're in that mode. And then uh, sometimes I think about, hey, shit, yeah, we, we, we have had a tremendous amount of adventure opportunities, traveling, all crazy stuff happening, right? So, but that's not all the time. Usually I just see Alistair, regular guy, loves what he does, love to train, I love to develop, I love to learn, um, and yeah, I try not to, you know. We saw a great heavyweight fight two weeks ago. It was uh, Steve Miocic, Daniel Cormier. Uh, Cormier fell short in that fight, and he admitted this week that he, he didn't think that he won that fight, although it was a close fight. Um, what do you think of Daniel's career and, and, and how he ranks among the all-time greats in the sport? Great career. I mean, obviously, he had his wrestling before, then came into MMA a little bit late, but uh, has done great things, right? Double champ, uh, strike force uh, Grand Prix... <laughs> Strike for Scrappy winner. Great career. Uh, and uh, he can be proud of that. And one thing going into this fight that was a big topic of conversation is who's the greatest heavyweight in mixed martial arts history? <clears throat> now, you've been in MMA for much of the, the sport's life. You've been in, in it for 21 years. Do you have an opinion on who the best heavyweight of all time is? No. Uh, because best of all times is usually uh, time-ridden, right? It's a period of time. If you look at Fedor, he th- there could be some some uh, argument for him, but he declined to fight me on two occasions, so that kind of takes that away from him. For, for me, uh, I don't know. There's there's no clear greatest of all times heavyweight for me. When you say that he turned the fight down twice, was that both times in Strike Force? Because when he signed the Strike Force and yeah. you were the champion, <clears throat> yeah, it was in Strike yeah, Force. Correct, and he didn't want to fight me. Two thousand and ten. He literally, uh, the words of his management was, no, we're not going to fight you. You have not deserved it. We are going to fight Verdum, and you're going to fight somebody else, and maybe we will fight you after. Okay, what happened? He lost to Verdum. Then uh, I beat Brad Rogers. <coughs> then um, after that fight, I offered him again, and he declined. And that's that's why I joined uh, the K1 final eight, the 16th. Which was great because otherwise that would would not have happened, right? The whole kickboxing thing. So thank you, Fedor. Thanks for declining to fight me. <laughs> Did that rub you the wrong way? I mean, if he says you didn't that you don't deserve to fight him based on what you had accomplished at that time, I mean, that's that strikes me as being just false. It was it was weird because I was the champ, and you usually want to become the champ, right? So uh, no, for him to to join the uh, the Strikeforce promotion really increased uh, the value of the Strikeforce title. I'm gonna be honest to that. So, but then the fight never happened. He lost to Verdum. I beat Verdum after that fight. 
um, yeah, and that was that was basically the end of that. And kind of he kind of rode off into the sunset, and I kept on going in UFC. So you don't, as a result of that, you don't consider him the greatest of all time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Now, one name that's uh, because of that, I I do not consider him the greatest of all time. Listen, even even if he had fought, he still had a couple of uh, I think three back to back losses. Right, he had Bigfoot Fedor and, uh, and and Dan Henderson. Um. So yeah, that, that kind of killed it for me, right? Declining to fight in three losses. We saw Jair Rosenstrike uh, have a nice comeback fight and uh, and get a knockout in, in his previous bout. Uh, your fight with him, you were beating him basically until the last seconds of that fight. Is that one that you really want to run back? Because, um, you know, if not for that stoppage right at the end of the fight, that, that's your fight to win and you're right in the mix in the heavyweight division once again. Yeah, we could run it back. Uh, to me, that was a very bad call with the ref. He actually waved it off with zero seconds left. So that was like, that was that was that was just off. I can't say anything else about that. I mean, it's everybody kind of, knows. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, because you were winning that fight like basically until the, the last ten seconds of the fight. The ref waved it off with zero seconds left. If you look at the replay, zero seconds left. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, unfortunate because, I, like I said, I think you were outclassing him for that fight, and it would be great to, to see that one run back again. Yeah, let's see what happens. Now, your uh, training partner, Curtis Blades, he's got a matchup against uh, Derek Lewis coming up in a little bit. This is a fight he's wanted for a long time, and to me, it looks like he has the advantage in almost every area of that fight. Do you agree? Yeah, I think he's going to, you know, you can never underestimate anybody in the UFC, but I think he's going to destroy it. And if that happens, do you think that he should be next in line for the title? We're starting to see John Jones' name creep in, but based on what Curtis has done, I mean, his only loss has come to Francis, and, um, you know, should Stipe win that fight, I think a, a Blades versus Stipe fight would be awesome. Yeah, but you got Francis in there, you have uh, John Jones in there. It's definitely going to be some title elimination needs to be going on over there. What would you think of uh, Curtis Blades versus John Jones' fight if you were to determine the number one contender? Good fight. I like it. And one name that popped up recently is Brock Lesnar. Thinking of coming out of retirement or he's a free agent, uh, do you have any particular opponent you'd like to see Brock Lesnar face? I know you defeated him back in the day with one of the most vicious leg uh, body kicks rather that you'll ever see. I, I don't think he's going to come back. Why do you believe His that? His last comeback was a disaster. Uh, I don't see him coming back. When, when you say it was a disaster, is that because of the USADA test? He did, he did beat Mark Hunt in that fight. <clears throat> he... Uh... He uh, got him on decision, I believe, right? Something like that? Yeah, unanimous decision, uh, mostly wrestling. Yeah, so then then they waived the testing for him, but he's still pissed hot. So it's it's a disaster, any way you look at it. Right? Absolutely. Well, Alistair, thank you for this. Appreciate it. Best of luck at the main event yourself, Augusto Sakai. Uh, looking forward to another fun fight of yours this uh, Saturday night. Enjoy. Ciao. That was the Ream. Alistair Overeem is going to be in the main event of UFC Fight Night this Saturday night on TSN against Augusto Sakai. And uh, we'll go to our next guest who's also on the card. He's the only Canadian competing on the card, and that's Cole Smith. And uh, he will be taking on Hunter Azure, and he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. I am now joined by Cole Smith. Who's, uh, I'm interrupting his game of Mario 3, and I, uh, I regret that I'm doing that. But uh, you're taking on uh, Hunter Asia this weekend in Las Vegas, and Hunter is a guy that I think you match up particularly well with. He's a guy that likes to go for takedowns, and you'll snatch someone's neck if they uh, if they get sloppy. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's gonna be a great fight. He, you know, he's got good hands. He's got good wrestling. He looks like a tough guy. Uh, should just make for a good fight. 
If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, you shared a card with him in your last fight, the one in Vancouver. I think he was against Brad Katona. Am I right? Am I right on that? Am I remembering that? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he won a very close uh, decision there. Very close. It was a close fight. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, your last one was also a very close fight, split decision. But uh, did you get to meet Hunter when you were there last time? No, no, I haven't had any contact with him. I haven't talked to him at all. He seems like a nice guy. I mean, I don't know, but I just seems like it for some reason. I don't know why, but he seems like a nice guy. I haven't really talked to him or had any contact with him at all. And my favorite. Oh, I hear Tristan in the background. Is he, he's he's giving you some uh, some pep talk. Tristan just talks no matter what. He's just he, he, no matter what. Even in my interview, Tristan has to talk. <laughs> Who was I was talking to somebody recently that talked about it was Jamie Siraj. I was talking about how he loves training with Tristan because Tristan's just always talking while the fight while they're training. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's Tristan, man. You know, but I, I'm a talker too, man. So if you if you pair us both together, man, nothing We're seems horrible. to get done. People like, what are you fucking doing? Work. <laughs> well, you guys, you guys lived out in Vegas for some time together. Uh, is it nice to be back there? Are you able to train uh, wherever you were training? I think it was Extreme Couture uh, while you've been there. Yeah, yeah, it was good, man. We were here for about three weeks or something, and uh, it's so it's so nice out in uh, in Las Vegas, man. Everything's so close, you know. All the top gyms are close to the PI, so you can get your work in. You can go back to the PI. You can go back to the gym. You know, it's all in like a fifteen minute radius, so. Yeah, it's, it's great out here. Now, you had your first loss in your last fight, and I always like asking this question because I'm curious. Uh, what have you learned from that? What have you learned from losing? Because uh, obviously as an undefeated fighter previously, uh, you're not used to losing. So when you do, I'm sure that you gain a new experience from that. Yeah, the thing is I, I've, I've played top-level sports my whole life. You know, I've lost lots of times. I've won more than I've lost, but I've lost lots of times. I've lost as an amateur, you know. And, but uh, I think losing is something you kind of have to deal with especially when you're fighting at, at my level. You know, all these guys are the best fighters in the world, man. So you can't really take it too hard. Uh, you know, there's only one guy who's undefeated right now, and he's, he's even got some real tough uh, opponents ahead of him. So, um, But, uh, you know, I just learned how to, how to deal with uh, the, the mental part of the game, you know what I mean, which is one of the hardest parts to deal with, you know. Anybody can really go in that day and fight. It's the months leading up to it and, and all that. And, uh, and yeah, so... You know, fighting at Rogers Arena was a big deal for me, and I was kind of in my own head a little bit. And uh, this one, I'm just enjoying the ride. So when you say you were in your own head a bit, what do you mean? What what was distracting you on that day, potentially? Just just stubbornness, wanting to win so fucking bad. You know what I mean? Just doing whatever it took. I didn't I didn't let the fight kind of play out itself. I just I had one thing stuck in my head, and that was the plan, and that's what I was going for. And you can see it in the fight. I was just being stubborn. I wasn't. I wasn't relaxing. I wasn't. I wasn't taking my time. You know, I was rushing a lot of things. So, what goes through your head then, like in the middle of the fight, when when it's like you need to win? Do you change the way that you fight as a result of that? Uh, well, I didn't in that one. You know what I mean? And I should have. You know. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, somewhat. You know, you have to you have to take a breath and kind of change the game plan, and that just comes with experience. You know what I mean? I've, I've had eight fights in my career, but 30 overall with everything else. Um, but I've never really been stuck in that position where I've had to change up the game plan. And, and uh, you know, for the next time I'm in that position, I think I'll have learned how to deal with that a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, when I say change during a fight, I don't necessarily mean for the better. Like sometimes when you're changing, you're changing your philosophy, you're changing your mentality, oh, and, you're, yeah. and you're going the wrong direction rather than the right direction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. 
So is that essentially what happened? Is like you were you, you were getting a little bit uh, too frustrated. Um, you know you know what I mean? Like a little bit. Uh, like you said it yourself in your own head, but you were you're trying to push things a little bit harder than you should have instead of maybe taking a step back, relaxing and, and adapting. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to beat him at his own game plan. You know what I mean? I was trying to out wrestle a wrestler and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, I didn't think I had the, the best game plan either. And you know, like I said, it just all comes down to experience and and, uh, and learning as you go. Before we started this interview, we were talking about Pokemon. So you're familiar with the term leveling up. In terms of training, where have you leveled up the most? From that last fight to now? Uh, probably in all aspects, man, to be honest. You know, I, I took a lot of time to actually go over things that I needed to work on, go over things that I was good at, good at but still needed to work on. I did a lot of actual uh, training as opposed to just going in, sparring hard, going home. You know, I did a lot of studying. I did a lot of thinking. I did a lot of uh, asking questions. You know what I mean? Why am I not doing this? Why am I not doing that? As opposed to just going in, banging it out, banging out pads or doing whatever I'm doing and just going home, you know. Um, it, it really taught me to, to, to take a breath and, and, and learn a lot more, you know. So I've leveled, I would say I've leveled up quite a bit since then. For sure. But like I said, you can only level up, you level up in different areas in Pokemon. So what area, if you could choose one area where you've leveled up the most, which one would it be? Uh, is my camera? Oh, sorry. I got you, uh, yeah. uh, Probably just the mental side, you know. Probably just touching back up, probably just the mental side, you know, where I was, I've been doing a lot of meditating and, and a lot of deep breathing and all that kind of stuff, and it really does play a big factor, you know, you, you kind of get stuck in your own head a little bit when, when the fight gets close, you know, so I think I've learned a lot on how to deal with that kind of stuff. What kind of meditation do you do? Do you have a specific technique you use? Not really, I just, I, I live, I live in such a beautiful place, the river is 30 seconds from my house, just an unreal river, and I usually just go there and sit on the rock and just take some deep breaths and just kind of tell myself why I'm doing this, what I'm doing it for, you know what I mean? Sometimes you ask yourself, why the hell am I going to go out into a cage and fight another trained fighter, you know what I mean? And then, and then you know, when you're meditating, you kind of, you kind of answer those questions, you know, and it, and it makes things a lot easier. Would you say that Hunter's a better opponent than your last one, or, or do you think Miles was a better opponent? Uh, I mean, I have no idea. I haven't fought Hunter yet. Miles was super tough. He was he, he was super game. Uh, you know, we're, we're just gonna have to see. I mean, you know, it doesn't really matter who your opponent is. Not to quote Conor McGregor, but you really are competing against yourself in there. You know, if, if I can compete to the best of my abilities, it doesn't really matter who's better. Have you done tape study on him, or is that something that there are fighters that do do it, and fighters that rely on their coaches to do it, and then fighters that just don't like it altogether? What uh, camp are you in of that of that uh, regard? Uh, I didn't do it before, but I, like I said, I did a lot more learning uh, this time, so I did watch a lot of his tapes. Um, usually, I would leave it up to my coaches, you know, because it can kind of play in your favor or against you, you know what I mean? You watch an opponent, you're like, oh, fuck, I'm going to crush this guy. Or you watch an opponent, and you're like, oh, man, this guy looks like a killer, you know what I mean? But you got to just sit down and, 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 and watch the tape and learn, and, and that's what I did, yeah. Now, you've got Tristan with you, and uh, when Tristan fought Michelle Peheja, I've never really seen a fighter the day before a fight, walk you through exactly what he's going to do and how he's going to win and execute it exactly like that? Is it good to have someone like Tristan that can help you in that regard with a, with a, a specific game plan on how, and how you're going to execute it? And then, like you said, you're just fighting yourself in there and trying to execute that. Yeah, I mean, as, as, as dumb as Tristan looks, he's actually quite smart and he's, he, he's, uh, 
he's pretty experienced in the game. He, he, he does watch a lot of his opponent's tapes. He does study all that stuff, and he did the same for me. And so it's been a, it's been a huge help uh, having him. Can I borrow Tristan for a second? I'm sure he can't wait to talk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just wondering how you're feeling, Tristan. I saw you got injured in a car accident, and I'm, I'm just wanting to get an update from you. How's, that, how's everything going? Yeah, I, so yeah, I, I, car accident was actually a, a while. It was about a year and a half ago, and the, I had uh, symptoms of uh, basically radial pain down my arm and numbness in my fingers, but it was never uh, kind of alarming enough to stop me from being able to do stuff. Like I rehabbed it, took a couple months, I rehabbed it, and it was, you know, maybe a 10%. And then when quarantine hit and I didn't do anything for two months, it went to like a thousand percent. Felt like my arm was in a fire while being electrocuted. My fingers went completely numb. I was in a 10 out of 10 pain, agony. I tried as hard as I could to rehab it. I was going to four different clinics, uh, six days a week. I did just everything you could think of. And it just, the pain improved, but my, like, I had weakness as well that started to develop as it went on. And I just, no matter what I did, it wasn't getting better. So talked to the surgeon, decided it was time to operate. He said, uh, when he went in, it was way worse than the images. He said the, the disc had actually fused onto the nerve and it took him an extra two hours. So he cut that off the nerve. Uh, but you may wake up and like immediately, like I, there's still, I tell the nerve is damaged, but my pain is essentially gone. Like I, I I've been really careful today's actually the first day i'm allowed to kind of take the neck brace off and start doing a little bit of stuff so i'm excited to start doing stuff but it's gonna be hard to know until i really push it but uh i'm i'm super optimistic chris wyben has the exact same brand of disc in the same location and he loves it and i've talked to a few other people that have it they're super active they all love it so i'm i'm super excited to be able to start just moving again here and over the next couple months and i about three months, I should be able to start rolling and sparring again if everything goes well. I mean, hopefully, I'll be fighting in January, February. And how quickly did you feel a difference? I, I talked to Derek Lewis about after he got back surgery, he said he just felt like a different guy altogether. Right away. Yeah, immediately. Immediately. It's amazing. It's like the pain, I didn't take any painkillers really because, like, they're like your arm pain is nothing. The only pain you have is like pain in your throat when you swallow from the tube they shove down your throat. Uh, but that pain is nothing compared to nerve pain. If anyone that's ever experienced nerve pain, I have never, this is the second bout of nerve pain I've had in my life. I dealt with my leg once and it was horrible. I remember crawling to the toilet and crying when I got there because I couldn't get up. Same thing with this. I didn't sleep for two weeks. I was sitting on the, the only thing that gave me relief was neck traction. So like grabbing hold of my head and pulling it, putting a towel under my head until I, I ordered a neck hammock thing that I had to like modify. It was just nothing nothing gave me really painkillers hydromorphine didn't do anything like i just couldn't sleep uh and slowly beat with the, the traction and finding positions that maybe give you an hour of sleep here or there and moving like movement is king doing stuff but not doing too much is the key to kind of surviving but like i just i, I tried rolling one day when i was feeling a little bit better and it put me three weeks back and i was like okay hey, this isn't gonna work i need to I need to really take a step back and try and strengthen maybe, and then that didn't work, so we, you know, we had to operate. That does not sound like a whole lot of fun. No, no, not <laughs> at all. <laughs> so uh, Jamie Siraj is going through something similar right now. I, I don't know if it's a, a similar ailment or what, but have you been talking to him lately? What's, what's going on with Jamie? I've talked to him a lot. He's got a lot of – the doctors can't figure it out. He's got something else going on, and it's, he, he keeps getting sent to different doctors that have different opinions, and it's – 
it's very something very strange. I don't want to go too much uh, into his business, and I don't want to tell, talk too much about the details. But basically, he's not getting answers, uh, and he keeps getting like one doctor will say, "Yeah, something serious is going on." The next doctor will be like, "Well, you know, I don't really know," and they'll send him home, and then he'll keep having issues, and he goes back, and it's. I, just, I think he just needs to speak to, to the right specialist because there's there's a few things they have found out, but are the things causing his issues? He doesn't know, so it's he's he. I feel sorry for him right now because he's really trying, really struggling, and it's uh, you know he, he's not getting the answers he needs. So, oh, I, I, you know, praying for him. He's uh, he's young. Uh, he's got lots of time. He's got all the talent in the world. The kid, he's he's on that UFC level, and I like, have trained with a lot of guys. He's super super talented. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping they figure this thing out so he can get back to his, his normal life. Yeah, absolutely. I was surprised he didn't get a shot on Contender Series, but uh, I know he has been battling injuries, and I know his sister passed away. Yeah. He's had a rough year. So I'm hoping yeah. for the best for Jamie as well. Yeah. I, I think I like, he probably would have been on Contender, but we haven't been able to push his name in there, really, I, with any longevity with all the stuff happening. Like, it's kind of hard for the UFC to rely on someone when until they, they get everything sorted out. So really hopefully he can get that sorted out soon uh, and so he can get back to it because, I mean, you know, this year's maybe shot, but, you know, I, I, he could get a short another shot if the world opens up again or be ready for next year. All right, Cole. Well, while I still have you as well, uh, and we're talking Contender Series, your sister-in-law, uh, Jamie Lynn Horth, is going to be on Contender Series. I think it was supposed to be October, but it might be November now because of Fight Island. I don't know how that's uh, playing out, but how's she doing? She's doing great, man. She's looking real good. She's training super hard. It's a good fight for her. Uh, you know, it kind of sucks if it does get pushed back to November. You know, she's been putting in work. She's been putting in time. She had to take a little bit of time off work, you know. Kind of tough not knowing, you know, if, if you if you're, should be dieting and all that kind of shit. So, uh, But she's looking great, man. She's looking real good. How big of a prospect do you think she is? Because every time I talk to people uh, that are in the know in terms of Canadian prospects, her name always comes up as uh, one of the most talented prospects in Canada right now. Yeah, definitely. She's definitely one of the most uh, talented prospects. But Canada has a lot of top prospects at the moment. You know, there's a lot of good fighters on the Western side right now that that are just about to make their name. So she's definitely one of them. Yeah, she was telling me that I guess it's every weekend in Richmond. You have about 10 to 15 people that could be in the UFC, you know, in the next year. Uh, and that it's become a real hotbed out there in BC. Yeah, it has been. You know, it was the other side of Canada for so long. You know, they, you know, with the history TKO and and all those and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but now it's the western side. I think we we've started kind of making a name for ourselves. It was kind of a domino effect. Once I got signed, you know, I started getting over on our side, and Tristan got in. And now, you know, our other teammate Achilles Esther Madura, he's going to be on the uh, contender series as well, or he might just get signed right to the league, which he should. You know, he's so good. Um, but yeah, we got a lot of really good guys. They're really dedicated. They come in and work every time, and it's fantastic what we're doing in uh, Western Canada. And you got a younger brother that I believe is coming up. Me? Yeah. No, I have three older. Oh, okay. So you have an older brother that's doing that has a. You're the youngest. Okay, you're the baby of the family. But you have an older brother that's that has a pretty solid record too, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. He 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 was just as an amateur. He he, just, he was just doing it for fun. You know what I mean? I mean. You know, he took it real serious and he trained for a long time, but he, he didn't want to make that jump to professional. But, uh, but yeah, he trained and fought for a long time. And my brother Cody's the reason why I got into the sport in the first place. You know, he kind of nudged me into it. And ever since, you know, it's, we, we've trained together and it's, it's been great. All right. Well, it's been fun watching your development. And uh, I hope you have some fun getting back to Mario 3. I'm sorry for taking you away from it. 
But, you know, business is business. So uh, I appreciate your time. And uh, thank you, Tristan, as well. And uh, best of luck this uh, Saturday against uh, Hunter Azure in Vegas. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Good talking to you, Aaron. Have a good day. And finally, we are joined by Oday Osborne. And Oday is uh, in Wisconsin right now, obviously, with what's going on with Jacob Blake and uh, the continued protests against uh, police brutality. He is uh, an interesting voice and uh, an important voice in terms of UFC fighters that are involved with standing up for the rights of black Americans when it comes to police brutality and systemic racism. And uh, he's also a, a mentor, a teacher for a lot of the youth. Uh, he's teaching from home right now uh, during the pandemic, but uh, thankfully was able to get some time with him, and he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. I'm pleased to be joined now by UFC bantamweight Oday Osborne, who joins me from, are you at this, you're at home, I guess, you're teaching from home right now? Yeah, I am actually, I am teaching from home right now. Uh, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it, it is what it is, you know, I, I can't complain though. <laughs> I've been working from home for months, so I, I, I feel you <laughs> on that. Um, so the reason why I want to speak with you today is because you're based in Wisconsin, you've been very active in your community in terms of uh, what's going on uh, surrounding uh, police violence uh, towards uh, black Americans. And uh, I wanted to discuss this with you because um, you are in Wisconsin. The situation with Jacob Blake happened there. And uh, I know that mm -hmm. even since the George Floyd situation happened, you've been really um, be, been out there in your community. And I wanted to just hear about how this has affected you and affected the local community in, in Wisconsin. Um, so, when, like I said before, and I've, I've stated this on a few other interviews as well, when the George Floyd situation happened, um, I'm, a big, I'm a huge believer in... Uh, ancestral trauma. So, for example, something that's happened a long, long time ago that that's so traumatic that you feel it still to this day. Or you know, it could be it could be, um, for example, it could be something like um, being enslaved on a slave ships, being a part of you know, being afraid of water or something. I I didn't think that was a thing before until now. Um, reason why I bring that up is when when George Floyd happened I I felt it so deep within my like in my roots that I thought that I was being beaten on the slave ship over and over again and there was nothing I can do about it and there really wasn't anything I could do but but just cry man like that for real that's that's all I could, I could do and that's what I did and, and since then, have you been feeling the same way or did it kind of taper off a little bit until this, this latest incident? Um, I, it, 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 it's hard. It's hard to say because um, where I'm at right now in my life, when everything happened, you know, as soon as it happened, I, the next day I packed everything up and went out and started protesting because I know that I have a voice in my community and I would be doing my community a disservice by not speaking out because all I require is equality for everybody. And that's what all of us, that's all we require is equality for everybody, you know? And I always say this, all lives has always mattered. That's never been the problem. It's black lives that's been in turmoil, you know? And um, I just started back up in school uh, two weeks ago uh, online. So, you know, I had to, it, it, I had to kind of get out of the, the protest scene and get back into school scene because it's not it would you know it's not really fair for my kids because it's emotionally draining it really is it's if you're not if you don't have the right state of mind it'll drain you and so 
for me now being back in school, I'm I'm just focused on the kids and my team um, of people in, in the school and just trying to work past everything that's been happening. But it's it's hard, man. You know, it, it really is. It's 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 a painful thing, and people don't really understand, and they try to justify situations by saying, well, you know, he did reach here or, well, you know, that happened. What, you know, well, but you know what I'm saying? At what cost, at what point in time will people finally start saying, man, you know, police brutality is a huge thing and black lives have been getting obliterated by it, destroyed by it. Um, How many lives have to add up at the end of the year for people to actually say that and the answer is it don't matter how many how many lives have been taken um because that's just how people are a lot of people don't want to admit because um calling out the elephant in the room means calling out the fact that you've been wrong throughout the years and uh society as we know it nobody likes to be wrong so a lot of people would rather swallow their ego and just keep on making excuses for the, for this stuff. Do you think that's part of the problem though, is that everybody seems to be picking a side right now. And for whatever reason, I believe that a lot of the people on the right feel like anything that is um, in support of, of Black Lives Matter or in, in support mm-hmm. of um, those who are protesting is an affront to the current president. But the, the thing that I think a lot of people fail to recognize is that when mm-hmm. Colin Kaepernick took a knee, president, uh, the president was Barack Obama. This wasn't a left versus right issue. It's an issue of uh, long-term um, racial repression. So why, why do you th- do you think that that's part of the reason? Is that because one side always kind of has um, the same messaging, or they're being fed the same messaging that they buy into it instead of being you know empathetic towards people? Instead, they, they'd rather be on a, a specific side. I I think that is definitely part of the problem. Um, Democrats, Republican. I think it's I think it's you know the far's the far right the far left you know it's it's the extremes on both sides I think um it shouldn't be a uh, a side choosing thing it should be what is right and what is wrong right is right and wrong is wrong that's it that should be society as a whole should all come together and agree on the fact that um police brutality is a thing and black lives matter not that black lives matter more than any other lives. And people know that when we say black lives matter, we don't mean black lives matter more than any other lives. We simply mean black lives just matter, period. Can we exist without you know, being treated unfairly? That's it. That's all we want is to, it's a, the acknowledgement. Can we exist without being treated fairly? But the thing about it is people know that people know what we mean. You know, they say all lives matter um, because it's a it's it's a it's something to go against everything that we we say or we do everything. Colin Kaepernick uh, sat. Then it said being, you know, sitting was disrespectful. So then you need everything. It doesn't matter what we do, what we say, how we say it. You know, we've uh, tried to adjust and do things to not offend and to explain as much as possible so people can get a gist of of where we're coming from, that we're not trying to say that uh everybody else is is more you know that we're that we're more important than everybody else that's not that's not what it is at all and uh the fact that people keep saying that you know all lives matter 
that's just that's just ignorant because the reason why they say that is because, like I said before, it's just something to combat with. And there's always going to be those people that combats and it has nothing to do with um, Black Lives Matter. Honestly, a lot of it has to do with the side of what they believe. So whatever one side believes, the other side is going to automatically disagree. It don't matter what it is. If I if I take this pencil and I say this pencil is yellow, the other side is going to say, nah, it's, it's light green. You know what I mean? So it's it's all it's like that with both sides, man. It's not just one sided thing. It's it's on both, you know. And what did you think of what happened in the NBA with the players basically walking off from the playoffs and uh, not playing again until some sort of tangible change was made? And, and it looked like it did take a step in the right direction. As a lot of the arenas are not going to be opened up for voting, it seemed like they were able to get the owners uh, and and the league's management at the table. Um, and do you think anything like that could ever happen in the UFC? Uh, I know that it's a very different thing. It's not a team sport. It's you know the contracts are not guaranteed contracts. But uh, do you think that um, anything? Uh, could happen that's similar in mixed martial arts. I know that the UFC did put up um, a rest in peace George Floyd graphic at, at the front of one of their um, broadcasts. And, uh, you know, while Dana White has been an ardent supporter of President Trump, I don't think Dana White has any problems with any of the athletes or anybody who works for his company speaking their mind on, on any sort of issues. Well, no, because most of the people, the majority of the fighters in the UFC are minorities. So, you know what I mean? But um, I, it's difficult to to go off of the UFC and other stuff and what, you know, the opinions of the UFC are and, and all that stuff. Because for me personally, I try, I try to like the UFC is the UFC and my personal life is my personal life. And so I try not to combine the two because, you know, that's when it gets a little, a little hairy, you know what I'm saying? So I, I, I typically try to keep the UFC and my job over there. And what I'm doing in my personal life is, is, is what I'm doing in my personal life. But could it happen? Maybe. Um, I don't, you know what I mean? I have no idea at this point because it's not a team sport. So it's a little bit, you know, a little bit more. Um, it's, 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 a, it's, it's not, not just not a team sport, but it's not an American sport either. Everyone thinks the UFC is an American sport, but really it's worldwide. UFC is a worldwide sport. Um, so could it happen? Sure. Uh, I don't see it happening because, like I said, uh, it's it's not a team sport, and it, you know. But who knows? I feel that a lot of fans that's been watching basketball and the you know they saw what the Bucks did are now starting to come, you know, to be more empathetic. Which for me, that's kind of a slap in my face because I've been struggling with this stuff for a long time. Uh, my people's been struggling with this for a long time, and the fact that it takes you know, a professional team that you idolize to do something for you to change your mind. It says a lot about your character. You know what I'm saying? That really, to be, I'm going to be really, really honest. I really don't care for the people that just come on board because the Bucks did it or basketball players did it or uh, football play, You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't mess with those people because that, that, that tells me that you're only doing it because a person you idolize do it, not because it's how you feel deeply in your heart. Yeah, it's a good way of looking at it. And like you said, the UFC, everybody's an independent contractor. There's no union, like players union or anything along those lines. It would be a lot more difficult for a, a fighter to take that kind of a stand because at the end of the day, the UFC could just be like, okay, we'll just replace you with this person, then we'll talk and we'll figure it out down the line, um, which doesn't really create any any sort of tangible change, uh, although it, it is certainly taking a stand for something that you believe in. Um, 
I do understand that it's a different set of circumstances, of course. Um, so where do you think that uh, America can go from here? Where do you think that society can go from here in creating uh, more equality or building more equality? Um, obviously, people coming out and protesting is, is something that uh, raises awareness of the issue. But what do you think can actually be done to combat it? And speaking of, I'll answer that question in a second. You brought up a good point, you know, with the protesting. Um, for the simple-minded people that think that people are just out there holding signs and yelling and being and doing uh, vandalizing and looting and being violent, that's not, you know, and it's not getting anything done. Protesting actually has caused more change this year than ever, ever. Because, for example, if there's businesses that will make racist comments before and where they were able to get away with it because it's it's you know it's it was socially acceptable let's be real it's socially acceptable now those same businesses can't get away with that because you know we're applying so much pressure going outside of your business and protesting so you you can't you, that's all you're going to see all you're going to see is us outside your business until you, you change what you do and uh, you stop the racist slogan and you stop, um, you know, promoting racism. And so once that business stops doing that, it, it, it becomes kind of like a ripple effect. You know what I mean? So now other businesses will see, OK, that business, you know, got all this heat from being making racial racial comments, racial slurs. Maybe we shouldn't do the same thing. You know what I'm saying? So it's um, racism. For me, uh, it's it's my coach had said this once. It's not a thing. Um, what I mean is, it sounds crazy, but what I mean is, you can't have racism without people, right? So you have to find the uh, the the cause of how this is how this is becoming a thing. Like how how did racism become a thing? It's it's by word of mouth. You know what I'm saying? It starts by somebody telling a uh, somebody telling a joke. Talking about right now, like in this in this in this um, era, I'm not talking about like you know with slavery and all that stuff. I'm talking about right now, somebody telling a joke, right? And at a it could be anywhere, a, a family dinner table, somebody telling a joke. All of a sudden, your kid hears that same joke, and it becomes a, a, a long thing of joking about racism, joking about racism, joking about racism. All of a sudden, this kid now um, has been picking up on all these jokes that it it it. it it goes into his his mental and it it, t it takes a toll and it, it becomes it impacts that person or whoever it is that you know is around the same toxic environment will become that thing that they're around always and constantly so you think that the cycle needs to be broken at some point by people that want that raise their kids to be better to to be um you know not not fall back on racism to make a joke or not fall back on on racism as, as something that's uh, not a serious issue. And, and that's how um, you can kind of break that cycle. Yes. And with all this protesting and stuff, too, it's it's added, you know, more conversations and more discussions to families and to households. I, I know a lot of people that talk to their kids and have spoken to their kids about racism and about the stuff, you know, police brutality is uh, it's a big thing. And and uh I agree. Like you said, breaking, it's all about breaking that cycle. You know what I mean? Um, so if you have a, a chain that constantly have been uh, putting out racist comments or speculated to be racist, um, you, you have to, you have to find the root of where that chain started and 
um, apply pressure, constant pressure to that person or you know director or whoever it is. But you got yeah, breaking that cycle and talking to people. And I think um, America right now is in a weird place. It's in a very weird place because you know everyone's protesting and three shootings happened in the past. Three, three. Uh, what was it? Has it, well, how how long has it been now? It's been a couple of five months. Yeah, about that. Since March, I believe March or, or April. Yeah, and it's it's crazy that after the first one, you know, in Georgia, people were like, okay, well, you know, the second one, well, you know, and then now this one, you know, it's like, oh man, so what are what what are we gonna do as a society? If those same people can't get on board and can't empathize with us after the third, fourth, fifth time this year, what are we going to do as a society? So that's why I say, you know, it's it's in a, a, a strange place, a, a strange place right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Oday, I really appreciate your time uh, discussing this uh, issue. Um, it, I can tell that it's very, very close to your heart and that, that you want to see tangible change. And uh, I think a lot of people do. So uh, thank you for this. I really appreciate your time. No problem, man. You have a good rest of your day. All right. Thank you for tuning in to the TSN MMA show. We have a new main event for next weekend. Unfortunately, uh, Glover Teixeira has had to withdraw and the, the fight with uh, Tiago Santos has been postponed, I believe, till October. But we have a new main event. It's Michelle Watterson against Angela Hill, five-round main event for next Saturday. So we'll be uh, back next week, myself and Joe, and we'll discuss that card as well as recapping this past card and talking about all of the big stories that break from now until then in the world of MMA. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you then.